This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And that's home, you know, sweet tea, pecan pie, homemade wine, and a little bit of chicken fried. Go beer on a Friday night. Good morning, welcome to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White with Carol Puckett here this morning. And we are flip-flopping our format just because we can. We're going to go with our very special guest this morning first, and then Carol and I will come back and chit-chat uh, throughout the remainder of the hour. But we're going live to Lemuria Books right now, Carol. Good morning. I am thrilled to uh, be the one to introduce Elizabeth High School. Uh, Elizabeth and I have known each other. It was long ago and far away that... I saw her photograph in Delta Magazine. She was catering a lunch that was beautifully photographed. At the time, I was head of the Viking Cooking School in the Alluvian Hotel, and we were looking for teachers. So I called Elizabeth up, asked her if she wanted to teach, and the rest is history. She became Viking Cooking School's executive chef. Um, we worked together. We played together. I had the honor of writing the introduction for her first book. Um, Elizabeth is a native of Rosedale, where her dad still farms, and spent her growing up years in Memphis. But I'm just supremely proud of her. She has creativity, energy, and most of all, hustle. And anyone who gets in the way of Elizabeth High School's dreams has made a big mistake because <laughs> the Today Show can't say no to her. Garden and Gun couldn't say no to her. Because, I mean, she will hustle and pester them to death till she gets them to yes. Uh, this is her fourth cookbook. It's a uh, national cookbook. And we wanted to be, we wanted to get her the week the book came out. And Java, thank you for doing that. Elizabeth, thank you for agreeing. And Malcolm, I'll turn it back to you. Let's get right into the conversation, Elizabeth. At the beginning, your introduction was very touching. You talk about everything really being born out of the Mississippi Delta. And, and I love the way that your, your mother, because we just celebrated Mother's Day, speaks to no one is more important than yourself when you're setting your table. So take us there and welcome and thank you. Please come on over. Well, I can't thank you enough, Carol. You bring me to tears. Um, I always tell everyone that being at the Viking Cooking School and and being able to work with you and beside you, um, you know, was one of the things that 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 made all of this possible. Um, none of this, not the books, not the Today Show, not my relationships with chefs from all over the United States, not my relationship with Southern Foodways, none of this would have been, ever been possible, Carol, if you hadn't given me the opportunity. And, and I am deeply, deeply grateful for that. Um, but anyway, yes, we are um, talking about the new book, Come On Over, um, you know, which was supposed to be released in October, and then it got pushed back to May. 
um, which honestly I'm, I'm grateful for. Um, I think it is time that we are starting to entertain again. Um, you know, and, and I think we've learned a lot, or at least I pray we've learned a lot during the pandemic. And I know that I've learned that, you know, it's never too late to celebrate and, you know, we don't take these relationships for granted and, you know, doing just a little something extra on a Monday night, you know, makes all the difference in the world to the people that are coming over. You know, there are a hell of a lot more Mondays in this world than there are New Year's Eves. And if you're waiting for New Year's Eve to pull out your good China, or to, you know, get out that pretty silver, then you are wasting time. I mean, we have got to use these things that make us happy and, and invite friends and family over again. And, you know, and the good news is, look, the bar is set real low right now, okay? Because people have been locked up for a year. They're just excited to get out of the house. I mean, I'm serious. I was telling somebody the other day, I mean, I could literally have people over tell them they were going to, you know, we're going we're gonna to gather in my pantry, everybody crowd on in and just hand them a bowl full of, you know, stale nuts and some bourbon. And they would think that it was the best damn party they'd ever been to. I mean, they'd leave going, oh, my God, that was high school. She, I'm telling you, she can entertain. We all feel that way. I mean, we all feel that way. We're all just delirious when we get to see each other. (laughs) I I wanted to go back to, you know, talking about Mondays. Uh, You know, you start chapter one talking about weekdays and how they're important. And I loved a quote that you had. I think, I don't know if it was from you or one of your friends said, Monday is just a word. Only you can decide how to treat it. And of course, Malcolm and Java and I celebrate Mondays in food because here we are on Monday mornings, but Monday is just a word. Yeah, it is. It is. It's become this, you know, it's however you decide you want to look at it, however you want to treat it. Um, You know, and I'm, I'm all for making a Monday special. It's unexpected, you know, and it is. It's absolutely wonderful. You know, You've been on the show before, and we're grateful to have you back, particularly uh, to launch your fourth book. And it is a beautiful book, as we were all talking about earlier. The photography is is rich, um, and it makes you want to dive right in uh, and to begin cooking. I love the recipes. Uh, I love the threads uh, throughout. And there's a great story around one recipe, which you've told before, but I would love for you to repeat the, the recipe surrounding the tomato pie. Oh Lord, have mercy! Oh Lord. Well, you know when we when we and that it is funny because there's so Carol, you don't have any idea how 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 many memories and and certain turning points you know you were standing there or um, you know gave your opinion um, in my life. And one of the times is when I looked at you and I said, "Well, Carol, I said we've decided that we're going to move out of the Delta and we are going to head over to Oxford and we're going to start a vegetable farm." I will never, as long as I live, forget the look on your face because you knew, you knew what was about to happen. You knew what was about to happen, what was going to take place, how hard this was going to be, that it wasn't just going to be me, you know, sort of floating through these fields in this beautiful hat with a basket and vegetables just kind of jumping in my basket, you know, and this, this wonderful sort of Mary Poppins ideal that I had come up with. Yes, you had. But it was going to be blood, sweat, tears. You knew that I was going to be at the end of my rope and, you know, and, and, and you, you already had it. So, well, I didn't know, I didn't know that you would be driving a prison van to Memphis. Correct. Correct. So, 
you know, in my mind, I just assumed I was going to sell the vegetables. Luke was going to grow the vegetables. It was going to be a beautiful marriage. And, you know, I, I thought it would be some lovely, I don't know, maybe like a little VW bus that had been converted with some really pretty, you know, turnips painted on the side. And, you know, instead Luke comes home with a prison van with bars on the windows and locks on the doors. And, you know, as if that wasn't bad enough, that man went and planted 10,000 tomato plants our first year. 10,000. 10, and at that point, I think I had about eight people that were buying from me. And I mean, we were doing every damn thing in the world to get rid of these tomatoes. I mean, I was canning them. I was stewing them. I mean, hell, I'd give them to the kids as, you know, I was like, y'all remember Mr. Potato Head? Well, this is Mr. Tomato Head. So y'all take these tomatoes and I want you to make something fun with them. We're going to play with them today. I mean, it was just absolutely ridiculous. And at one point we had so many tomatoes that Luke, I mean, he was to the point, he called me on the, um, I was headed back from Memphis. I'd been selling all day, no air conditioning in that prison van in the middle of August. And, you know, he said, you got to get home. He said, I swear to God, I'm going to kill myself if you don't get home right now. And uh, I mean, I didn't think he would. He's real dramatic, but um, I didn't think he'd go that far. So by the time I got home, he had literally, they had picked close to three or 4,000 pounds of tomatoes. I mean, it, it was like nothing you've ever seen before. It was absolutely terrifying. And he looked at me and he said, you, you're going to get rid of these. You got to get rid of these. And I, you know, at that point, I didn't think it'd be nice to go ahead and bring up the fact that he was the one that planted 10,000 tomato plants, not me. <laughs> but um, anyway, so he's like, you, you just, you're going to figure it out. You got to figure it out. And so I started calling all these wholesalers all over, every wholesaler I could find. And every single one of them said the same thing. I mean, nope, ma'am, look, 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 lady, we don't need any tomatoes. We got all the tomatoes we can possibly use. Everybody, you know, it was a good year for tomatoes. And, um, and then they'd hang up on me. And so finally on the last person that I called at the easy way, I, I was not going to hang up. I just, I was not going to hang up until they let me bring my tomatoes up there. And so buddy, I got on the phone with this lady and she was super nice. And she was like, ma'am, I'm so sorry, but you know what? We just don't need any tomatoes. We are full up on tomatoes. And, um, and I said, no, I understand that. I said, but I have really beautiful heirloom tomatoes and I have every color. I've got green, I've got yellow, I have purple. I have the most beautiful Cherokee purple. She goes, ma'am, I don't care about your purple tomatoes. We just don't need any tomatoes. You know, it's been a real good year. I said, ma'am, I understand. Yes, I know it's been a, been a very good year for tomatoes. I do understand that. I said, but you need to understand that, you know, my husband, he's probably going to kill himself and I have three girls and we started this farm and I've just got to get rid of these tomatoes. And anyway, I did that for about 15 minutes. And I mean, that poor woman finally said, okay, fine, come on, you can come on up. And um, so I came on up to the, to the easy way. And I learned a little bit about Barry, who was the owner of the easy way in my short vegetable um, career. And I'd learned that Barry was a sexist, horrible man. He was horrible. <laughs> and buddy, I went, I ran up to my daughter's room. Oh yeah. Ran up to my daughter's room, got her shortest short, shorts on cutoffs, if I remember correctly. And honey, I put on my tightest top low cut and I loaded that prison van up and mama went to town and so I get there and um Barry's standing there and I get out of the van and I've got this big crate of tomatoes and I'm kind of leaning over a little bit and I said Barry would you like to see my tomatoes 
And he said, Elizabeth. Yes, Elizabeth. I would love to see your tomatoes. And I said, I thought you'd say that, Barry. And I'm telling you, I unloaded that van. I mean, I would bend over, honey, and I'd get those tomatoes <laughs> and I'd turn around, Barry. Can you believe how beautiful these tomatoes are? I unloaded 3,000 pounds of tomatoes in just that fashion. By the end of it, poor Bear was sweating and shaking so bad he could hardly even write that check for $7,000. But, buddy, he did, and he took every one of those tomatoes. Um, obviously, I couldn't do that every day with Barry. I mean, it, it took a lot of work, and I had other things to do. So we started making Bloody Mary mix. At that point, I was just drinking vodka straight, and um, I was just crying. And Luke walked by one day and he said, you know, Elizabeth, there are people in this world that actually like other things in their vodka besides ice. Um, you know, you got all those tomatoes. Why don't you start, you know, making Bloody Mary mix? And so that was the key. So, I mean, we would cook these Bloody Mary, we would cook those tomatoes down with onions and garlic and, and then press them. And I mean, it would take bushels of tomatoes to make, you know, a gallon of tomato juice. And, um, and so that kind of became our savior. And so that was the, debutante farmer bloody mary mix that um is now sold all over the country um using those tomatoes it was born right there on that farm <laughs> God, and barry and barry was deeply involved barry yes absolutely barry was deeply involved i want to know if you uh made barry a tomato pie because that looks like one of the best recipes in the book malcolm you know, and i, I are both I focused that if, on if it if i had finished barry off with a hot fresh tomato pie i think barry would still be in my life you know carol we, we i didn't want to i didn't want to kill him you know i just i just <laughs> wanted to keep him for a minute but um but anyway yeah no it is it is the cover it is on the cover of the book and we had another photograph there and um, it was a chicken recipe. And I thought, you know, that chicken recipe is good. It's even called the good chicken, but it ain't going to sell this book. You know, I mean, I wanted the showstopper. I wanted the sexiest recipe out of this whole book. And that to me is that tomato pie. I mean, I just, there's hardly anything better. And it, we don't have much more, you know, much more to wait. I mean, where are we? We're in almost the middle of May. We've got June and then, you know, right around into June, 1st of July, we're going to be seeing some gorgeous tomatoes. Well, yep. I'm ready. But Elizabeth, one of the things I've always admired about your cooking, uh, which, you know, being a caterer, you have to put out a lot of food and you emphasize taste over technique. And it really really came to me when I was looking at this tomato pie recipe. I mean, you are not scared to use a prepared pie crust, a can of what you call cream of X soup, which could be mushroom, celery, or cream of chicken. And, you know, I, shortcuts are what everyday cooking is about. I mean, Carol, this is my deal. This is, this is what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about people going in the kitchen and cooking. Okay, I want somebody to make this tomato pie and I want them to give it to their friends or their family members. And if they're if the only way that they're going to do it is to use a pie crust, then by all means, use the damn pie crust that you get at the Kroger or wherever. I don't care. Um, you know, and yes, certainly if you have a beautiful pie crust that you want to use, use it. My whole thing is I know 
how busy people are. I know how busy I am. And I know how tempting it is just to go to, you know, whatever store and grab a box of cookies, you know, all in that plastic, all wrapped up. You know, it, 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 there is definitely a temptation. And so if I can entice you to make an incredible, you know, brownie, a caramel brownie that starts with a box cake mix, I mean, I, I don't care. I'm not going to feel guilty about it. I'm not going to be embarrassed about it um, because you're cooking. And, and that's what people appreciate and they remember. I mean, you can't tell me. I mean, I don't remember. I barely remember the last person that sent me flowers. But I remember 22 years ago when my daughter had surgery. Um, she was just an infant. And I know exactly what Lee Fife brought to my house that day. I mean, it was Martha Stewart's lemon rice and it was a beautiful roasted chicken and it was blanched asparagus and it was a pound cake. I still remember that meal. She went in her house. She took time out of her life. She stopped her world to take care of me and I'll never forget it. And that's why I feel it's so important for people to cook. And if you're going to have to take a shortcut, by all means do it. I just, I think it's that important. I mean, don't you agree, Carol? Totally. I totally agree. And I can't wait to cook with this, uh, with this book this week. But, you know, it, it got me thinking, there are so many wonderful products out now that we didn't have 10 or 15 years ago, you know, with puff pastry and uh, pie dough and pizza dough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it just you know, available at, at the markets. And it, it's just a shame not to use them to get you know, to get the food on the table. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Elizabeth, I wanted to, to ask you, I mean, this is a nationally published cookbook. I mean, you hit the big time Houghton Mifflin, big New York publisher. Uh, tell us a little bit about your journey with this book. Well, you know, we this book had actually, it was going to be called Recipes for Days. And um, because, you know, how we always say, or at least I say at least, you know, once a day, oh, I've got, oh, I've got chicken for days, or we've got pillows for days, or we've got whatever for days. And, um, and so I was, we were pitching this book back to Oxmoor House, um, you know, which at the time was Time Inc. And, um, and so then while this was all going on, Time was bought out by Meredith. And Meredith had never had a book division, and they weren't planning on keeping Oxmoor House, and so they ended up shutting it down. So at that point, I had a really great idea for a book, and I had an outline for a book, but I didn't have anybody to publish the book. <laughs> and, um, and so I did a bunch of really big girl stuff, and I got an agent that um, I think is absolutely fantastic. Her name is Stacy Glick, and she believed in me and she believed in this book and so she set up a ton of appointments in New York and um so I got my cutest dress on and got my hair and makeup done and we spent a day and a half in New York going from Harper Collins to Potter to um HMH to all of these different um different publishing houses and then at the end of the day I guess probably the next week we ended up getting offers from every single one of them um, which I was completely blown away. Um, and, but the HMH deal was, um, was the most attractive. And I had another friend that had worked with HMH and, um, 
you know, and I just knew that it was probably the right place. And they have just been absolutely amazing to me. Um, of course, well, they, 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 they changed be. the name, though. They did have to change the name and um, because they did not understand recipes for days. Even though I talked about it for days and I tried to explain <laughs> it to them for yeah. days, they still did not understand that. So I think, they, I think they made a good choice. And I know the book uh, book dropped. It went on sale last Tuesday. And I know that you have been traveling because I follow you. And I've seen <laughs> you've, you've made a progression around the state. But how are sales going? It's unbelievable. It's been, um, it went, it's number one in every cookbook category. So everything from cast iron on, on Amazon, from cast iron cooking to TV and celebrity cookbooks. Um, and it went all the way up to number seven out of 4 million books. Um, and that was, of course, right after the Today Show, which I'll be back on Wednesday morning with um, Hoda and Jenna. So that, that'll, that'll be fun too. But it's been overwhelming. I mean, people have been so kind and so generous. And, you know, they are buying the book. They've started cooking out of the book, which... You know, that's, that's the thing is that, I, I mean, certainly I want them to buy the book, but I want people to cook out of it. I don't want them to take this book, read it, and then put it on a shelf and never pull it out again. You know, I, I literally envision this, this book on people's kitchen countertops and, you know, them leaving it out and sharing recipes with friends. I mean, that's what makes a good cookbook. Elizabeth, I really uh, enjoyed the story that accompanied the griots and grits recipe. You say it's the best recipe in the book, and then you tell us a secret that the New Orleans Country Club uh, has historically been known for the best grits and griots recipe until yours came along. But you, but you bake your grits, and I talk just a minute about baking the grits versus you know, cooking the grits on the stovetop. Well, yeah, I mean, I start them, I start them on the stovetop and then, you know, and then we add the eggs, we add the milk, we add the butter, we add all of that. And then we put it in the oven to bake it. And it does, it kind of puffs up a little bit. It just lightens them up. So it's almost like a souffle. Um, and I do, I think that makes all the difference in the world. You know, if you're, if you're going to be serving them like that. Uh-huh. Well, I know you got to get on the road and uh, you're headed to Fairhope, Alabama from here. We have listeners there and we hope that some of them are tuned in and are aware that you are en route. Once you leave Lemuria Bookstore, you'll be headed uh, for uh, Fairhope, Alabama. And what's the name of the bookstore? Page there? and Palette. So I'll be at Page and Palette at two o'clock today. And um, I'm looking forward to that. And then I'm going to be right back with you all at Lemuria. And I'm so excited about this. So yeah. you, you are actually sitting at Lemuria right, right now. You've been signing books since early, early morning. Yes. Yes. I got here about eight. Um, they were so sweet and let me in. Kate met me here. And um, so we started signing books. So all the books at Lemuria now are signed and, um, and ready for you to take home and, and get cooking with. And you said the first edition of the book is already sold out, right? You're in a second Correct. printing yes, already. Yes, we are in our second printing right now. So um, if you see a book, you need to grab it because I don't <laughs> know how long it's going to be there. <laughs> I bet it won't be long, but uh, Elizabeth, congratulations. And we will talk to you again Wednesday at 530 on Facebook Live Lemuria Books. Thank y'all. I love y'all to pieces.
Have a great Thanks so day. much. And continue good luck. And we appreciate you joining us this morning. Be safe on the road. We'll see you Wednesday. And we'll take a break. When we come back, we will uh, chat. Carol and I will catch up on things that have gone on since last Monday. Uh, it will be an interesting list. Again, join us Wednesday uh, for Facebook Live from Lemuria. Carol and I will be right back, and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. Deep South Dining, Malcolm Wise with Carol Puckett. Wow, that was a cool interview with Elizabeth High School. She is uh, a room full, is she not? She is a room full. She is a bundle of energy, and I will say it once again. Do not say no to Elizabeth High School. Do not get in the way of her dreams, because she dreams oh, big and can back it up. So what's going on in your world uh, over the last week? I haven't, uh, well, we actually had a big party uh, that we need to report out on. Yeah, yeah, we do. Uh, Malcolm, that was one of the greatest experiences that I've had in a while. I guess it was because it was the first time I had had people in my house for dinner in like 15 months. Mm, it's and been a while. was happy to have you there. Uh, we had a good friend in town named Thomas Williams. We call him a pork mule because he delivers pork chops and pork goods around to all his friends. And we had a pork chop dinner, uh, Malcolm, Thomas, Leanne Galt, who is you know one of the founders of Cooking and Coping and a guest here. And uh, then our friends, Jim and Donna Barksdale were last minute additions. Uh, they came for a drink and nothing was going to get between Jim and the pork chop. So as usual, set an, set an extra place at the table, but we got the pork chops at the Flora Butcher up at David Rain's place. And they were, gosh, that, I know they were an inch maybe, but those were some big pork chops. There's a picture of them on cooking and coping, if anybody's curious about the way that the chops look. Now, Carol, you cooked the chops, or you and Leanne cooked them. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you prepared them? Well, I just did a very simple preparation. Uh, I, you know, salted salted pork chop. When, when you cook with pork, it always needs a lot of salt. It can take a lot of salt. But salt and pepper, rubbed them with olive oil. We... Uh, seared them for two minutes on each side and then on the stovetop yeah on the stovetop in a cast iron skillet but I'm okay. sure any skillet will do then put them in the oven for I think about eight or nine minutes usually do about five minutes per half inch and we pulled them out and glazed them with a peach jalapeno glaze also from the Flora Butcher, 
and man, they were delicious. They were absolutely fabulous and cooked perfectly. You also uh, scored some other uh, condiments while you were at the floor butcher. You bought, brought <laughs> me some uh, fun things to play with, and I appreciate it. Talk a little bit about those condiments. Well, you know, the floor butcher is my absolute favorite place uh, to go for condiments. And I always bring you something because you and I do love a condiment. We and never I, met a condiment I, we didn't we like. We didn't like. And so <laughs> I, I ended up with a big, a big box full of condiments. He has the most interesting selection. You know, it's just really a well-curated selection of everything from chicken fried steak mix you know, to the uh, bourbon pepper sauce. And, you know, Java is going to talk to us a, a little bit uh, about his trip to Natchez where Fat Mama's is and the Fat Mama's fire and ice pickles, which I know I've given you before. Got a jar in my re Well, actually, I just finished it about a week ago. Now, there's some fire. Those are fantastic. They're sweet and fiery, and uh, I love them. So, Java, you were out on the road, I guess, with Felder, and you went to Natchez, and you you got some reports for us there? Uh, yes, sir. Like I said, um, last week we've been traveling around with Felder Rushing on the road. This Friday we'll be in uh, Cleveland, and then actually on Saturday end up at Hallen Miles. Uh, so Woo! for everybody in the Jackson area, come out Saturday morning. But we've been trying to eat local and um I have family in Natchez, and it was kind of funny because I had never been to Fat Mama's because, like, normally we just eat at one of my cousin's house or at my grandmother's house, but a lot of people, they get out into the restaurants when they come in from out of town. So I went to we went to Fat Mama's, uh, to Molly's. The Fire and Ice Pickles were passed around. I um, had some of their giant tamales. Those were some good, good tamales. Um, and um, the... Uh, what was I forget the name of the margarita mix, but it was it was there also. Knock you, knock you. It's, it's fat, fat mama's knock you naked margarita. Ah, mix. that yes. All in all in the name, and then um, well, I I, I sold that at, the, at my everyday gourmet store. Yeah, they sent this is maybe twenty years ago. They sent me a little bottle of it in the mail, and of course I was so enthralled. And it became you know, one of our best products. And I'm, I'm so happy that you imbibed. Yeah. And uh, and uh, Fat Mama's is, is an institution. Felder was telling us about this was actually the second location. It used to be just a little shack, uh, which was mm -hmm. down down the road from its current spot. But on um, on Friday, we actually went out to the Pig Out Inn and had some uh, had some barbecue, uh, which is uh, steps away from the bluff. So just two local restaurants in Natchez that we visited and, uh, and supported it on our trip great well carol we had some mail this past week uh you, you got a uh, i think it was an email from larry morrissey uh talk a little bit about the chantilly cake yeah I, i'm sure many of our listeners hear larry on uh the art sour on sunday and uh he he sent us an email about chantilly cake he had heard or knew that Whole Foods in Jackson had a fabulous Chantilly cake and was uh, headed out there to get one for his wife's Mother's Day present. And lo and behold, they were out of Chantilly cakes. And it led him to uh, do a little research on them 
And Malcolm, I think you need to get Kara to make us one. <laughs> well, you know, interestingly enough, we have one in our refrigerator right now that Kara got from Whole Foods. No. And uh, she loves the Chantilly cake uh, because it's course, full of fruit. It's full of blueberries, blackberries, strawberries. It's just loaded up with fruit. And it has that remarkable uh, icing that is made from mascarpone cheese. And it's her favorite cake. So we actually have one upstairs now. She hasn't made one, but we talked about uh, yesterday, sort of dissected the thing and looked at it and talked about it. I did a little research and discovered that the Chantilly cake is an American creation. It was actually, its origin is actually in Hawaii. And so really? it's, it's not a French or European pastry creation. It's an American creation. Well, and it's not only full of berries, but it is full of cream as well. Mm. Yes, it is. It's so, a fine cake, and I hope Larry uh, will circle back and, and pick one up at the Whole Foods or, you know, make one. I'm sure that we could uh, – I saw a really great recipe from one um, on the Internet when I was doing uh, my little brief research to figure out where this thing came from. And for anybody that's in New Orleans, Bywater Bakery, uh, as well as Whole Foods in New Orleans, featured the Chantilly cake. And in other news, uh, one of our past guests, Eddie Wright of Eddie Wright Barbecue, was awarded the Kingsford Charcoal Grant as a part of the Preserve the Pit program. The Kingsford Preserve the Pit program is focused on preserving the culture and history of black barbecue in America uh, and supporting the future of that. And Eddie was one of a handful of people chosen to receive this grant, and they had over a thousand applications. You can actually go back and listen to our interview with Eddie uh, from June 29th, 2020, uh, just by checking out the podcast, uh, June 29, 2020. Uh, on an episode of Deep South Dining. You know, in the past month, we've talked a lot about Black Barbecue uh, all around Adrian Miller's new book, Black Smoke. And that was such a great interview with Adrian, but we've got to make sure that we get Adrian and Eddie Wright together. Absolutely. Eddie needs to see Adrian's book and Adrian needs to meet Eddie and I know Adrian's talking about coming to Mississippi, you know, once the pandemic is over. So we yeah. collectively need to make that happen. I've got at least a dozen uh, black-owned barbecue joints uh, in the Jackson Metro that that we can uh, share with Adrian when he comes to visit. We got some phone calls, but before we go on the line, I want to shout out to my granddaughter Ren, whose birthday is today. She turns five. And uh, she and I have a great time cooking uh, and pretending to cook uh, in the kitchen. In fact, she said to me uh, yesterday, she always comes up with reasons why she doesn't want to leave. And she said, Bop, which is what she calls me. She said, Bop, why don't I make up one of my famous soups before I leave? (laughs) (laughs) So happy birthday, Ren. I'm going to run you down this afternoon and sing to you. She wouldn't let me sing at her birthday party yesterday because she said it wasn't her real birthday. So today I sing and I am grateful for this uh, lovely child in my life. 
All right. We've got some callers. We've got uh, Kathleen from Osaka on the phone. Hey, Kathleen, what's cooking? Well, believe it or not, I do have something cooking. I was thinking about you, Malcolm. Um, what you got? Um, bacon, and I made a um, Western omelet and uh, some chili and some cheese. So I'm starting out on the hearty side today. Wow. That'll, that'll get your day on the right foot. Oh, and again, and, and a nice strong cup of uh, New Orleans coffee. You know, I'll tell you real quick. One time somebody said, oh, Kathleen, I love your hair. I said, really? I said, well, I drink New Orleans coffee and chicory every day. She said, that smell your hair? I said, no, I just like the coffee. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I can tell you this, Kathleen. I drink uh, coffee and chicory uh, every morning myself, but I ain't got much hair, so oh, I hope that's not uh, a part of that routine. But anyway, you know, I made an omelet on uh, yesterday morning myself. I cooked some bacon, and I made uh, a little French omelet that I like to fold over and, and make, and I put pimento cheese in it uh, and a little bit of uh, some salsa, and it was terrific. You but thanks for calling. Anything you else going on? Yes, I wanted to tell you that I love love absolutely love the lady that you just had on elizabeth she's got the spirit of get up and go and i i i love waking up on a monday morning and hear somebody like that with the enthusiasm that'll hold you over all week long very very good person here well she not only has get up and go she's already got up and went she's on her way to fair hope and uh i bet she's almost to florence by now yeah, she's something else. She's she's a joyful person, and she's a great cook. She's a great entertainer, uh, and she's just uh, having great success, and we are happy for her. Thank you, Kathleen, for listening. Thank you for calling in. We always appreciate hearing the news from Osaka. Also on the phone, we've got Keith calling in from Oxford, Mississippi. Hey, Keith, what's cooking? Hello, friends. How are y'all today? We're good. Um Carol and Malcolm, I just want to tell you, I, I discovered the show about, oh, I don't know, eight weeks ago, and I haven't missed one since, and I can't bowl an egg, but I love the show. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but Keith, uh, you know, it's fun to talk about it, even if you can't bowl it. Well, y'all do a wonderful job with it. Um, I've been wanting to call in and just been kind of shy to, but then y'all had Elizabeth on today, and I had to because I love All Elizabeth. Right. Uh, I've actually uh, bartended and chucked oysters for Elizabeth a time or two uh, in her catering business, and I just love her. And, Carol, I have to say, you made the comment about how Elizabeth can improvise on her feet. And I want yes. you to know I've been in the kitchen with her during the middle of a 400-person reception, and start her come in and say, Elizabeth, Miss Elizabeth, we're out of so-and-so, so-and-so. And she just reaches in her little hat and pulls out something and has 40 servings ready to go in about three minutes. And That's right. That saves Elizabeth. But I, I love her to death. But I just wanted to congratulate all three of y'all on the contributions that y'all have made to the culinary culture in Mississippi. You put Mississippi on the map. And not only uh, culinary, all areas, but uh, entertainment, of course, with Malcolm. And last thing, real quick, uh, Malcolm, I sometimes wonder 
how much I would actually give to have one Saturday, one more Saturday night on the dance floor at Howling Mouse with Charlie Love and Duff and Fish and the rest of the tangent playing because those were some of the greatest times of my life. Anyway, I love you. You and me, both. brother, brother. You and me both. I, I, I appreciate that memory. Appreciate you sharing the kindness. We appreciate you listening. We're glad you discovered us, and we will certainly look forward to seeing you every Monday morning at 9 o'clock right here on Deep South Dining. Now we're going to go to Natchez, and Lauren's on the phone. Hey, Lauren, what's cooking? Good morning. Well, I don't cook a lot, but I do have some nice cookware. I have uh, a nice uh, aluminum half-sheet pan, pretty heavy-duty, uh, not a big box thing, and I have several pieces of food-grade pewter. Uh, one is a, a large serving tray, very heavy, with a mirror finish. Now, all of these are getting corrosion on them, and I have tried everything from motor- motorcycle um, aluminum polish to 1,500-grit sandpaper, and I can't get it to look uh, like it was originally. It seems like everything either doesn't do anything or it scratches it. Do y'all have mm. any suggestions? Well, yes. I'm going to turn to I, Carol here. She's the expert. On I that. certainly uh, certainly have a suggestion. And it's, Lauren, it's time for some new cookware. It is time for some new cookware. <laughs> Aluminum you know, once, once it gets pitted, it starts leaching from the from the inside, and you need uh, you just you need some some cookware. Now, you know, pewter cookware used to have lead in it, and so anything that anything that has pewter, uh, well, before I think uh, nineteen seventy five. Yeah, does have some lead in it, so hopefully yours isn't that old. No, uh, no it's fairly new. That, it's yeah, worse. that that have happened, but it's yeah. yeah. The the way to remove if you have any food carbonized on your on your cookware, no, I do the not. best way, and that and that's what, uh, and that's like when you you cook something and it sticks, and you you know you clean it up, but there's still residue from the food in the uh, you know the pores of the metal and then food it just starts sticking on sticking on top just real light layers but if you have that you can make a paste with uh, a cleaner like comet or ajax a powdered cleanser just make a, a paste and let it sit there for a while and then you know get a a, a sponge uh, a sponge with, you know, not, uh, you know, n- not a, a Brillo pad or like that, but the sponges with like the plastic, not plastic. What am I trying to say? The uh, the other kind of surface, the uh, uh, a nonstick scrubbing surface. Okay. But with your aluminum pan, I recommend that you invest in a, in a new piece of cookware. Well, sometimes um, we have to deliver bad news, Elizabeth. I mean, uh, Lauren. So I hope I hope you're not offended, and I hope that you will maybe hang up the old pieces uh, in the kitchen museum and and move right along there. All right, thank you for your advice. Thanks, Lauren from Natchez. Next, we go to John in Jackson. What's going on, John? 
I wanted to get back on that Chantilly cake from Whole Foods. We uh-huh. were at a dinner party, and there was a bunch of guests there, and one of the guys brought that Chantilly cake from Whole Foods. And everybody had a piece, and then we were looking at each other, and everybody had another piece. We <laughs> ate the whole thing. So my partner, Jim Miller, he, was, he said, I'm going to bake one of these. So he found recipes and uh, came up with a plan, got all the ingredients, baked it, spent all day doing it. And it was, there was even more fruit than was in the Whole Foods, and it was as delicious or more delicious. But when he tallied up the hours he put into it and what he spent on it, we've been buying them ever since from Whole Foods because you just can't beat them. They are, they are fantastic. So well, I just wanted to put that plug in for the Whole Foods Chantilly cake. Well, you know, they, you they have a large operation there, and they can make them in bulk. Carol, what makes the cake, the, the yellow cake, so spongy in the Chantilly cake? It's almost like a trace leche cake. You know, Malcolm, I, I really don't know. I, um, I don't know, but I can we, do some research. Well, anyway, it's a fabulous cake, as you said. It's got great icing. It's full of fruit. But the cake itself... Uh, on the on the one that we have, which is from Whole Foods, it's, it's kind of moist uh, and spongy. Not so much like angel food, but more just like, as I said, the tres leche type of uh, cake, maybe where they pour some liquid over it. I don't know. Mighty good, though, I'll tell you that. And I, I loved uh, I loved John's comment about tallying up the cost of the ingredients and the labor, labor to do it, because I bet it's a lot of labor. So uh, we got another caller. Ronnie's on the phone calling from Saltillo, Mississippi, and he has a cleaning tip. Uh, perhaps it would help Lauren, who called earlier from Natchez, uh, talking about her cookware. Hello, Ronnie. How you doing? Doing good. How are you? Great. Thanks for calling, man. All right. Well, j- just a quick one. Um, what I have found that works, and believe it or not, my wife taught me. I hate to admit that. But on cookware, oh man, yesterday was Mother's Day. Come on now. <laughs> obviously, aluminum can be too far gone to say, but we bought some Pioneer Woman heavy duty cookware and it developed, you know, the kind of brownish tarnish on it. What, what works for us is cream of tartar, mix, make a paste with water out of it and let it set even overnight if you want to. Now, I'm not talking tartar sauce, um, save that for your fish. <laughs> But cream of tartar, make a paste with water, and that's you'll just see the the brown tarnish start coming off. Wow. That is a great tip. Carol, have you ever used cream of tartar for such a thing? I have not, but I certainly am going to try. Me too. I hope Lauren's still listening and uh, can, can pick up that tip. All right, guys, you have a great one. Take care of all your friends and family. Thank you, Ronnie, and we appreciate you you listening to the show and for calling in Saltillo. I was just through Saltillo a couple weeks ago on my way to and from uh, Pickwick for our uh, fishing trip that uh, Tom and Tom and I took. So uh, that that was wonderful. That's a nice bit of you know. It's it's great to hear from our listeners uh, about what's going on in their world, in their kitchens. And so, Carol, what else uh, have you cooked since we last uh, gathered at your home? Uh, 
That was well, a, I again think, a great I think, dinner with the pork chops. Yeah, one of one of the best things I cooked this week actually never made it out of the kitchen, and ah. that that was an oven roasted Indian okra, and uh, the in India okra has always been a very much used uh, vegetable and. It's called bindi, and one of my favorite dishes is bindi masala at Spice Avenue in Jackson. But in this dish, you slice the okra long ways, and you want to take each pod, cut off the top, maybe cut off the tip, and slice each pod into, you know, like small julienne strings. So, like, at least four pieces and six, so you have a bunch of okra strings, and you put salt and pepper, toss it with a little olive oil, and then bake in the oven at 400 for 15 to 20 minutes. And you want it to be roasted, not blackened, but you, know, you really have to watch it. And when it comes out of the oven, you toss it in a bowl of Indian spices there is yeah, garam masala you may have seen in the grocery store. It's a, uh, an Indian spice blend, which is wonderful, but also salt, pepper, chili powder, turmeric, and cumin, and it's just delicious. And when I made it the other night, we were going to have it on our plate for supper, but a couple of our good buddies, including you, ate it all before it ever got to the next room. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was back there in the kitchen just sort of chatting away, and, and my hand was just mechanically going from the bowl of okra to my mouth. And finally, you looked over to me, and you said, we need to save some of that to garnish the pork chops with. I'm like, oh, no. Now, and this okra, a lot of people, when you say okra, they immediately go to slime. I don't like okra because it's slimy. This okra had no slime. In fact, it was just as crunchy as an onion ring or a French fry could ever be. It's delicious. And the first time I had it was when I was working with Viking Range and we went to a restaurant in New York uh, to visit the chef and they had it on the table. They served it as an appetizer or an hors d'oeuvre mm. to put in the middle of the table. And that's one way to serve it too. But if you want to make it, you know, go to the internet and just look up roasted Indian okra or uh, oven roasted okra Indian, but put the word Indian in it and it will give you something that has the Indian spices. Yeah, well, it was fantastic. The whole meal was great and it was and fun, as we've alluded to today. It was fun. Uh, to begin slowly to gather again with friends, to have in-person events. Uh, and now our event with Elizabeth at Lemuria is not an in-person event on Wednesday. Uh, it's a virtual event, so we'll be on Facebook Live. But I have noticed that Lemuria has begun announcing some in-person book signings and some some conversations and events. So I think we're, we're slowly getting there. Uh, and, and it was wonderful to sit at your table and to be in your kitchen uh, and to celebrate with friends, which has not happened for the last year and a half. Especially our friend Thomas Williams, as it was said that night, is a man who can hold his pork. And a, and a great friend, Lamas, he is fondly known as in our small circle. 
and he was uh, he, he was uh, comparing the fork chops that night to some that he has uh, in Nashville. So uh, llamas is always a good time. All right, it's been great. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio.